May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's what the angels told the shepherds that is so unsettling. I mean, that they told shepherds is itself unsettling. Shepherds, poor peasants, tenant farmers, people who spent all their time outdoors tending flocks, men who were um, not welcomed in holy places because they were ceremonially, perpetually unclean, that the angels spoke to shepherds and to no one else is unsettling. It's actually more than that. It's bewildering and at some level embarrassing. But maybe the angels got lost, you know. Maybe this was the night where they put Barney in charge of navigation. And Barney the angel just can't read a map. And, and you know, they just went to the wrong place. I imagine this big burly war angel, you know, Lucius or something like that. And he's yelling and berating Barney like, Barney, you said we should go left at 7-Eleven. And here's where we're up in the middle of nowhere. Do you see where we are? I mean, there's nobody around here. I imagine Barney the angel in his disheveled robes, you know, and his... Halo is kind of crooked and his shoelaces are untied and, and he's looking kind of sheepishly embarrassed and, you know, his own incompetence. And he says, you know, look, here's the map. I, I'm sure we were supposed to take a left at the 7-Eleven. And do you think that's what happened? That the angels got lost. That they just were in the wrong zip code. Their, their GPS wasn't working. They, they wound up in the wrong place. Because why else would St. Luke record the story like this? I mean, why would they go here? No one will take this story seriously. Nobody's going to believe this. This is not the way you should tell this story. Not angels to shepherds. Angels would not talk to shepherds. It's a huge mistake. It's a, it's a narratival error. You know, don't tell it this way. Would shepherds really, or angels rather, really appear to shepherds, these ordinary workaday people? Not even that. Not even ordinary people. Very bottom rung of the social ladder people. Are these really the ones that the angels show up to talk to? Wouldn't they rather find their way to influential and powerful people? You know, kings and rulers. If I thought, if you think about it, like I did. If angels were to show up today, where would they go? If they had a worldwide message to proclaim, you know where they would go. They would go to Washington or to New York, London or Paris. This is where they would be. They wouldn't show up, you know, the four guys who are sharing a mobile home in Ravenna. This is not where they're going, is it? I mean, they're not going to show up to some schlep who lives in Hudson or Stowe or Cuyahoga Falls. Let's face it, if an angel came tonight with a worldwide message... He's not looking for auto mechanics in Akron. You wouldn't think, would you? This is not the way they would do it. So it must be that Luke expects us to believe that perhaps they got lost. Because why else would they wind up in this backwater town? As backwater a town as you can find anywhere on the planet, Bethlehem. Go there today. It's still a backwater town. It's about as unsophisticated. You would think... All the people who go there year after year, tourists, go, the tourist industry alone would pull this city out of the ancient world, but no. It's still as unsophisticated a city as you'll find anywhere. And the angels go there 
but not even there. They actually go to the to the, the the countryside outside of Bethlehem. They don't even make it to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, shepherds, worldwide announcement. Is this really the way you would do it? It makes no sense at all. But setting all of that aside for just a minute, what the angel said is also perplexing. It shows a single angel at first, Gabriel, I think. He's already been busy about delivering messages to people, readying them to prepare their role in this drama. And so I think it's him who goes forward to speak to the shepherds. I imagine he leaves Lucius and Barney and all the rest behind. You guys hang out here. I'll call for you when I'm ready. And he goes forward to speak to the shepherds. And and here's what Luke records. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Now, with y'all, this is really um, well-covered territory, but um, I, have, um, I have this long list of phobias. I mean, it's really too long to go into tonight, but among them, squirrels, bats, almost any small mammal. Um, I, I kind of fear them all. I'm really worried, and you'll think this is strange, about this gargantuan tree over my shoulder. I just feel like I need to kind of keep an eye on it, and I can't, you know. So all these sort of things worry me. And so when the, when the angel says, do not be afraid, like, are you kidding me? Don't be afraid. And I know that all of y'all pretend to be tough. Like, oh, I don't have any fears. I'm not a phobia. I'm not mentally unstable like Joe. You know, I've got it together. No, you're not. Spiders, anybody? Snakes, lizards, oh, maybe you can handle all those. I have a friend who's afraid of cats. I'm not kidding you. She's terrified of just regular house cats. What about airplanes or zombies (laughs) or small spaces? What about ghosts? Are you afraid of ghosts? Because I think speaking to an angel might be somewhat like speaking to a ghost. You know, incorporeal being, you know, this, this sort of a, uh, this, you know, being that can appear and disappear. And he speaks to you and says, don't be afraid. Why would he say, do not be afraid? Because you would be terrified. That's why. Don't be afraid, he says, for see, I, I, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. Good news, great joy. All people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear good news, I think, wow, maybe I won $50 in that raffle that I played the other day. Or, or you know, maybe this preacher is known for short, snappy sermons and I'm out here in record time. Maybe that's, you know, that little good fortune is the sort of thing that, that kind of strikes you as good news. That's not what the audience of Luke's world would hear. When they heard good news, here's what it means. It's a Roman word. War is over. We have won. Caesar is king. So when the angels say good news, war is over, what war? And How is it going to benefit all people? We should rejoice and celebrate. Why? I don't, it doesn't make sense. And here's where it gets really crazy. All of us know. We've watched enough television, read enough books. We, we've, we've, we've studied enough to know what it looks like when war is over. There are images. And the images go like this. Tanks are destroyed along the sides of the road. Soldiers are leading prisoners into captivity. 
The battlefield's over, and then after that, the generals are gathered on a navy vessel, or maybe they're in a little tent in the middle of the desert, to sign the surrender agreement. And lastly, there's the ticker tape parade, and the sailor kisses the pretty girl in the middle of the street, and a little girl runs up to her daddy and hugs him, and he's in his uniform. And that's what the end of war looks like. And so when the angels say, I bring you good news, war is over, We've, God has achieved victory, what do we get? I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. The angel said to the shepherds, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. This is not the sign of victory. A baby, a poor baby who's lying in a cattle stall. That is not a sign of anybody's victory. None of this makes sense. It's not the right people. It's not the right message. It's not the right sign. None of this is the way things are supposed to be. It's all just so horribly wrong. Luke must be mad. Not mad like angry, but mad like crazy. Luke, what are you saying? Unless he's not. Unless he's not crazy. Unless it's us. It's this world and our expectations that have everything so horribly upside down. Maybe for us, what looks wrong is right, and what looks right is wrong. Could it be that Luke tells this story knowing that people are going to be shaking their heads in wonder because it's true? I mean, look what happens to this little baby. He grows up in obscurity and in poverty. As he becomes a man, he has only one thing, his words. No, no wealth, no weapons, no reputation, just his words. And with his words, he had such a profound effect on his nation. And he taught them what goodness really means. It's not defined by tribalism. It's defined by generosity and humility and kindness. It's defined by meekness and mercy and forgiveness. And the notion that you can have an outward form of religion without an inward change is totally absurd. This little baby tells us that God has won the war, not with violence, but with love. And every year, as we gather together to celebrate this event, and the whole world, you know, two billion people gather together around the world, celebrate this event, it sort of recalibrates the world for a moment. I know, not all the world. There's still plenty of violence. There's still plenty of hatred. There's still plenty of, you know, uh, of selfishness. But Christmas reminds us what's best and what's good. Generosity, gentleness, kindness. And a little baby enters the world and reminds us that this is what it looks like. He reminds people what it means to live well. And I want you to think about this little obscure child in the middle of this little backwater town as he grows up and he teaches people with these tiny little stories. I mean, can a story really be that effective? He teaches them with stories like this one. One day there was a man who was walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. And the robbers left him for dead. And, and as he's lying there, another man came by. He was from the tribe of his sworn enemy, the Samaritans. But despite the enemies, 
The Samaritan stopped and he nursed the man back to health. And he did it because it was the right thing to do. He tells another story. There once was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. And the father gave the boy his inheritance. And off he went. And he, he wasted all of his money in, in, in foolish living. And, and when he had no more money, he couldn't even buy anything to eat, he says to himself, I'm going to go home and beg my father for a job. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. And while the son was a long way off, the father saw him coming. And he threw off all his dignity and he ran out to his son and he grabbed him and he kissed him. And he took him home. And he threw a party that night for his son. This son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. These little stories, this good Samaritan, this prodigal son, changed the world, turns it upside down. The only weapons he brings, the only notoriety Jesus brings. And he does these little stories and they change everything. They change our understanding of goodness. Goodness is about empathy and about forgiveness, about compassion and reconciliation. We'll forget it. We always do. And then we have to be reminded, oh yes, it's that. But a little baby born in a cattle stall on this night many, many years ago reminds us what goodness is. Reminds us that our only hope is in the God who brings us victory in a strange way. And it might seem crazy. It might seem just absolutely bizarre. Then again, what do we know? We look at the world upside down all the time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.